0: The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church.
1: Good morning. My name is Doug Friesen. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're so glad to worship God together. Isn't it great to know that there is a God who wants us to be able to say, that is who you are. He makes himself clearly known. He wants to have relationship with us, and he loves us so much that he wants us to also have relationship with each other. So welcome this morning as we worship God together. If you're newer to our church family and you haven't had a chance yet, please take time to fill in the welcome card that's either in the seat in front of you or you can go to our website or on the app. There's a place for you to let us know of your visit. And if you desire for us to to call you or connect with you, that we can do that. A few things to just celebrate. Again, last week we mentioned the birth of Danielle Brianne Hollins, and uh, there was a little flower and a lamb, and we said there's going to be a baby dedication coming up next Sunday. So for those of you in our church family, if you have a young one and you say we'd love to be dedicating our baby and ourselves to the Lord next Sunday, please talk with Pastor Kevin, and uh, we'd love to have you part of the service in that way. We also mentioned that uh, we want to be, thinking of Mother's Day, we want to be in support of our crisis pregnancy center. And uh, they have a variety of focuses, but one of their primary focuses is caring for the young moms who have decided to have their babies, and we want to encourage them. So you can make a layette. Uh, There's a list, there's bags out at the resource center. There's a list of supplies that you can get anywhere. You can even just go to a dollar store. We'd love to make a number of layettes that we can uh, have here by Wednesday so that we can deliver them to the center, and then they can give those out as gifts. And then they also have just regular needs. They need some of their shelves to be stocked with supplies and there's a list for that as well. So please uh, make use of that opportunity to show love. Also mentioned, uh, we had a video last week, uh, Karen and her daughter Amy shared, and there's a one-week devotional that's Amy contacted seven people, different ministries, Ted Falk is one of them, and said, would you help us create a devotional that helps us focus on the dignity of life? So if you'd like to take that, there's a a copy for you at the Resource Center, or you could also find uh, a PDF online. And then on May the 12th, it's a Thursday, there's a hundred thousand flag demonstration at the Saint Boniface Cathedral. Each of those flags represents an unborn baby this year in Canada. And so starting at 9 o'clock they're gonna start putting the flags out. At 11 o'clock there's a bit of a a session that we could attend just to help us learn a little bit more about how we can protect life uh, both at birth and uh, at the end of life. And I just want to put some hope out there as well. The Crisis Pregnancy Center, as I said, they focus on uh, the unborn to make sure that they can take a breath, but they also focus on the men and women who are on the other side of an abortion and need healing. And uh, in our church family, I know that applies to friends we have in our own lives, that there's someone who might just need someone to talk with for counseling, just for love, and just to know that God extends his grace to everyone so that we might know our need of him. And uh, so that's another beautiful ministry of the Crisis Pregnancy Centre. And it's run by a lady named uh, Chris McKay. And so if you're wanting to connect with her, please do so. Um, Thinking about children, we don't want to just see children born, we want to see them raised in the Lord. And one of the wonderful things we can do is provide a space for them to go to camp in the summer to become in awe of God through creation, to be led by uh, counselors who are themselves maturing in the Lord and desire to love these children to Christ. And so our uh, camp, Camp Nutamick, has a fundraising banquet on Saturday, uh, May the 14th at five o'clock at the Victoria Inn. And uh, we've had a number of generous people already buy tickets for our church family. So if you want to attend the dinner, you can get a ticket for free for the table for the dinner, and then just come, listen to what God is doing, what they're hoping will happen in the months ahead and then be prepared to uh, hopefully praise the Lord by financially supporting the camp as well. And one last thing, as far as camp's concerned, if some of you are thinking of going to serve at a Christian camp this summer. Of course, we'd encourage our own, like Camp Newtomik. But any Christian camp, if you're going there to serve for the summer, we have a Christian camp application form. And what we're able to do is support you $100 a week to a max of $600, so if you're there for six weeks. So if you're thinking of going to camp, know that from our general budget, our church wants to support you in that way. And so please, you can just uh, find it online. You can talk with me. Uh, we'd love to see you use your summer in that way. I have a few special announcements for you today, and I'm going to invite Lorraine to come and share. Oh, she's there. Good
2: morning. I'm a deacon here at our church, and as deacons, we oversee the care ministries of the church. And I would like to share with you two upcoming events to allow us to connect with each other. And the first one is a games night. Now I know it's Saturday, so if you don't have any plans on Saturday night and you're 18 plus an adult, we invite you to come join us here. We're going to be here at the church for a game, an evening of games, fun, fellowship, and connection. So bring a snack to share, come join us, uh, we'll be here, and we just would like to get to know each other in a social opportunity. The second event is a Newcomer's Lunch, and prior to COVID, we held a Newcomer's Lunch for people who are new to our church a few times a year. Because of COVID, we haven't done that in the last two years. But if you're someone who is new or has been coming to White Ridge for a short time and you're interested in uh, starting Connect to connect with more of our church family, we invite you to our Newcomer's Lunch. We acknowledge that this is a unique time because you may have been coming to White Ridge for a few years already, but still feel new because of the pandemic. So if you identify yourself as someone who's new and wants to get connected, or you still feel new here, you're welcome to join us. There's a link in our weekly email sign-up and also on our website, or you can stop by the Welcome Centre and leave your name and email address, and we'll send the email link to you. We're holding two newcomers lunches on May fifteenth and June or June twenty-sixth. Right after the service, it will be held in the children's ministry area. Lunch will be provided, and we ask that you sign up for one of those dates. So those are two exciting, fun things to be doing with your church family. Thank you.
3: Um. Alongside that, actually, we we try to get to know each other, right? We're a family, we call ourselves a family, and sometimes it's like, well, I know most of the people in my family. It's hard to get to know somebody if there's, you know, 200, 300 people in the building. So, we want to make sure that people don't, you know, um, get left out, people don't feel like they're not part of this, even in things that we accomplish, and so, in two weeks, we're gonna have a post-secondary grad celebration. Uh, we're gonna have two grad celebrations this year, one coming up in two weeks, one in June for our high school grads. And so if you are, have graduated from uh, post-secondary in uh, some time in the last couple of weeks or in the next couple of weeks, because it's, I think it's exam time right now, so uh, good luck with you guys, for you guys there. But if you are graduating, uh, we want to celebrate that with you. So uh, send your information uh, to the church office with a picture, and we'll celebrate you in two weeks. You have two weeks, so make sure that information gets in there, and we'll celebrate you. Uh, yeah, high school grads are coming next month, so don't worry about those just yet. And uh, Arlene.
4: Good morning church, my name is Janine Carmichael and I serve on the Board of Governance here at White Ridge Baptist Church and I'm excited to let you know about a new staff position that a search is underway for a director of administration. And so if you happen to be gifted in administration and if you'd like to come alongside our pastors and our other staff members in fulfilling our mission then we'd certainly love to hear from you. On our website, you will find the job posting and the job description, and uh, the deadline is May 16th to apply. If you have any questions at all, I would warmly invite you to reach out to any member of the search committee. That's Gary Schellenberg, Dolores Tully, Pastor Terry, or myself. Thanks so much.
1: And one last announcement. If you are looking for summer employment, uh, we have a green team opportunity for you here at the church. Uh, For either one or two people, um, we're looking at uh, more or less from June till September. Uh, Half of it would be kind of yard keeping doing things like the mowing the lawn taking care of the pathways And the other part is about ministry helping specifically with our children's ministry So if that's something that interests you and you're in that age range from kind of your upper teens to 29 We'd love for you to apply and serve with you this summer. So thank you
5: This morning uh, in our sermon we're going to be continuing on in Romans chapter 13 and we're going to be hearing a lot today about the call that God's given us to love one another. And I'm convinced, I, I know that scripture is clear, that when we love one another, when we love one another, uh, that is a, a big part, a significant part of what it is for us to worship God. Uh, and so much so that in, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says that there's, we could do all of these different powerful things in honor of God, but if we're not loving And it doesn't mean anything. And so it's so significant in our worship that we as the church are loving one another as God calls us to. And so this morning we're going to do what we always do on a Sunday. We're going to sing songs to the Lord in worship of him. And as we do that, I also invite you to consider and to remember that we're singing songs in worship of the Lord and we're doing it together. So let's sing with joy and let's also sing with love for one another and let's stand and let's give him our praise. just heard 1 Corinthians 13, some of it being read by Leanne, and uh, that's a tall order, loving one another that way, and it's something we can't do without God. There's many, many, well, everything that we can't do without God, and as we sing this song about surrendering, maybe it's that, maybe laying down yourself and picking up your cross like we've just sung, maybe that is what God's calling you to do in order to love somebody in a difficult relationship. Or maybe it's something else this morning, and it's between you and God. Maybe you already know what it is that God is asking you to surrender to him, to say, Lord, I know that you're the king of this. I know that you are sovereign, and I give you control instead of me. And I don't know what that is for you, but I invite you just to take all of that, and let's just sing some of that again. And let's sing it as a prayer together as, as church family. Amen. Lord, all of this is for you, Lord. I thank you for giving us this day, for giving us this life, and for giving us opportunity to know who you are and to praise your name and to live in the joy of being in relationship with you and the joy of following you. And I pray that you would guide us in laying down ourselves so that we can love and burn for you better. We pray this in your name. Amen.
6: Good morning. I would actually like to invite everybody that is able to stand for the reading of God's Word. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you, to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand.
0: Amen. Thank you, Wes. I'm going to ask you to do something in a minute, and I haven't done this for a couple of years. I'm going to ask you to stand and turn to greet someone that's around you. You're not going to touch them. (laughs) You're not going to shake hands, but there's been uh, people that have been away. There's been new people that have joined us, and just turn around, stand, turn around, say, give your name, get a name, and say hi. God bless you. Something like that, you know? Let's do that. <clears throat> <clears throat> Okay. That's great. Thank you everyone. There's been the odd person that has said they don't enjoy that, but uh it looks like you guys enjoy it actually. So and I saw you some of you touching, I saw some of you
3: <laughs>
0: Okay. Amen. I I just rejoice that we can be together and uh, we're just grateful to God for getting us to this point and uh, so grateful to God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, some of you will will know the classic book by Dr. Seuss called How the Grinch Stole Christmas. It was back in the 1960s that it came out and you know the storyline probably. The Grinch is a grouch and uh, nobody knows why. He lives up in a cave above the little fictitious town of Whoville. And he does awful things. He One year, he steals the Christmas presents of every family in Whoville. Well, we get a little peek into it in the movie when we realize that the problem is, is that he has a heart that is two sizes too small. So now we know the problem with the Grinch and why he's so awful, but we don't know what the solution is, do we? Well, all of a sudden, in the middle of the story on Christmas Eve, he enters one of the homes, and he meets a little girl named Cindy Lou of Whoville, and Cindy Lou has this incredible impact on the Grinch, and somehow in the process of getting to know her innocence and being loved on by her... He has a transformation take place and he actually ends up having a heart that grows three sizes bigger than what it was. And so he ends with a bigger heart, more capacity to love, and he does all kinds of good things on that Christmas day. Well, somebody suggested that um, what it would be like if every time we have a church service... We have some people out in the foyer at the entrances and we have a kind of a, we kind of have a Whoville x-ray machine and it measures the size of everybody's heart when they come in and and all all of us have records that we've kept on how big your heart was last week or last month and we can kind of see if your capacity to love is growing over time. And see, then we would know something about how effective we are as a church. We would know if we are becoming a disciple-making church, because Jesus said that the two most important Uh, measurements of your stature spiritually and of your maturity and growth spiritually is how you love God and how you love others. And if we could just kind of have that x-ray machine that would measure it, we would know, yeah, we're not doing so well or, we you know, do some private counsel, talk to individuals whose heart are shrinking and others that are growing and we could, you know, that would be cool, wouldn't it? Jesus, actually, was the one that said it. The two greatest commandments, the two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Mark 12, 28 to 31. Pretty amazing. In fact, you and I read that and if you've read it for years, it's sort of like, yeah, I heard that before. The people that first heard it would have been amazed. It would have been profoundly impacting. Why? Because the teachers of the first century that Jesus' listeners were used to hearing from had a way of making very simple truths more complicated, like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and they would go into long, long explanations of things that were found in the Old Testament, and everybody kind of glaze over, and they'd fall asleep. But Jesus, we said, is one who taught with authority, and one of the aspects of the very word authority has to do with the idea of simplicity and clarity. And so Jesus would take huge ideas and big concepts, and he would boil them down into simple statements like, Here's it is. Here it is, the entire law and the prophets, all of the Old Testament, you can sum up with these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's what made Jesus so incredibly good as a teacher. Now the Apostle Paul knew this. He knew as he was writing the letter to the church at Rome about Jesus' teaching. He knew the things that we're talking about And yet it's interesting that in chapter 13, which we're looking at today and had read, he does not focus on the commandments that have to do with the first one, the first and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God. He focuses in verses 8 to 14 on loving your neighbor as you love yourself, the horizontal commandments. Interesting. And so why is that? Well, I think the simple answer is that that he had taken 11 chapters in the book of Romans to talk a lot about what the relationship with God looks like. And starting in chapter 12, verse 1, he turns the corner and he starts to unpack what looking at, looking at loving each other, what does that really look like and what does it cost and what is it, how is it sustained in the local church family and in the world when we're in a world that is actually persecuting Christians. It was in the day of Rome in the first century. And so I think that today, as we look at the Scripture, we're talking about the call to wake up and to live a life of love. And before you let yourself off the hook because you think you're already doing that, ask God, even as I share the message this morning, that by His Holy Spirit's finger, He might just put His finger on one area of your life where you're not awake and where you're not living a life of love because that's what this preaching event that I engage in with you each Sunday is all about. It's that we might be transformed by the renewing of our minds and become Romans 12 and even Romans 13 Christians today. Let's ask God to do that. So the call to wake up and live a life of love. I've got three things I want to say this morning and the first is that Paul says that love is that Kind of love that fulfills the law. Now, what is that all about? Let's talk about it. Verse 8, O no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. He goes on in verses 9 and 10 to say it, it sums up the law, and he says it again, it fulfills the law. Three times in three verses, Paul says, The kind of love that God gives you for others is the kind of love that fulfills or sums up all of the law and the prophets. By law, in this passage, I believe or Paul has already indicated he's referring to the Ten Commandments. He's referring to Exodus chapter 20, and he quotes some of them to just make it clear that he's referring to the Ten Commandments. But as I said, the interesting part is that he skips by some of the first ones which talk about Loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He he skips by things like, have no other gods before me. Or do not make for yourself any idols or images. And uh, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. These are are all about the vertical. But he skips over those and he goes right to commandments 6, 7, 8, and 10. And he talks about the things that have to do with the... The, the not murdering, the not stealing, the not coveting, and so on. It has to do with the horizontal loves. And then he says in verse 9, all of this is summed up in love your neighbor as you love yourself. So if you lust after another person's w- husband or wife, or if you fantasize sleeping with them, you are not loving. Or if you hate someone in your heart, you despise them so much, you wish they were dead, you are not loving. Or if you think about stealing something or coveting something that someone has and you wish you had it and they didn't have it, you are not loving. And Paul says, and many other commandments like it, the prohibitions of the Old Testament. He says over and over again, there's so many of that that, that you're not loving if you're doing those things. Now, why is it that the Old Testament commandments are so often in the negative? It's do not do this, do not do this. It's prohibitions. What Paul is saying simply here in this text is he's taking those and he's translating it into the positive language. He's saying love, just love. That's what he's doing He's done it already in chapter 12. He said, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who, who, who persecute you. Uh, if your enemy's hungry, feed them. These are all loving gestures that are the positive, not the, the negative. Don't do this. In fact, in fact, Paul says to us who follow Christ, if anyone comes against you and harms you and does something wrong, when you meet any people like that or even just another stranger, you are already in debt to them with a debt of love. That's what he starts with in verse 8. Very interesting. You know, in verse 7, he's just talked about paying the taxes and the debt that you owe. And then he just takes that idea and he twists it and he says, And by the way, let no debt remain outstanding except the debt that I have to you and you have to me to love each other. Interesting language the way Paul does that. Have you ever run into somebody that you owed money to, but you haven't repaid it yet? How do you feel when that happens? It's a little awkward. Paul says, imagine if all of us always had the attitude that we owe each other a debt of love. Wouldn't it be amazing? Sometimes the debt of love would be repaid in forgiveness. You've wronged me. I'm canceling the order. It's it's done. Let's walk in unity. Sometimes the debt of love would be paid back in putting someone's bad day aside. Just, okay, you're grumpy today. Forget it. Let's move on. Sometimes the debt of love would be given in just ignoring that rude comment that came out way too fast. And there are a plethora of ways that the debt of love that we owe each other because of the incredible pouring out of God's love into our hearts that came through Jesus Christ, because of that, Paul says, you know, just, just, just let that debt be outstanding. And, and that's nothing. And so, God has poured his love into our hearts. You know, John Lennon, back in 1971, wrote a best hit single. And some of you that are old enough to remember that might remember which one it was. Do you remember what it was? Anybody want to What was the song called? Imagine. Imagine John Lennon writes. And in the song he writes, he says, "Imagine that there's no religion." Because he saw religion as dividing, causing wars and things. Imagine that there's no heaven or hell. Imagine that there's no borders. There's no countries because we're all big, one, happy, earthly family. And he goes on and imagine. And then he says, some may think I'm a dreamer. I think he was. Because, you see, John Lennon had nothing to put forward as substance by which to imagine that. That. And Paul comes along and he says, I can imagine it, if everybody would put their basis for relating to each other on the basis of how God has related to us, we would have an abundance of love in all kinds of varieties of kindness that would leave no problems on earth. Amen. Imagine. A couple weeks ago, uh, <laughs> I'm glad you're listening. Tell your parents to listen. No, just kidding. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? <laughs> Maybe grandparents, I don't know. A couple weeks ago, I was at a Kiwanis Terrace. We, we do a service there once a month, and some of the folks of our church are so gracious to come and sing and so on. And at one service, I I referred to a song that I knew as a child growing up. And the song goes like this. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. That's the basis for the, the debt of love that Paul is talking about. And um, I, I kind of embarrassed the little group from our church that had come to, to be a quartet that day and asked them if they knew the song, and they didn't. But the next month, this past month, they sang all three verses to me. So I was really blessed by that. And so we have a debt of love. Now I want to go further into this. In John 13:34, Jesus takes it to another level. Paul is talking, Jesus has referred to the second commandment, love your neighbor as you love yourself. In John 13, 34, he says this, a new commandment that I give unto you, that you love one another, how? As I have loved you. By this shall all, all people know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. This kind of love, the kind of love that I have loved you with. Do you see how Jesus in that one verse in John 13 on that last night before he was crucified, gave instruction that raised the bar so much more. It's not just love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now it is love your neighbor the way I have loved you. And not just as I have loved you, but Jesus' implication is with the love that I have loved you with, now you love on your neighbor. Jesus has really brought up the bar. And so because of the love that I have received and the huge debt that God has forgiven me of, I can forgive you the small things that pass by. And because of the way that God has been patiently putting up with my hard heart in certain areas of life, I can put up with your stubbornness. Because of the way that That God never holds a grudge against me. I I can let go of the grudge that I hold against you. Amen. And so Paul says in this, in these three verses, Paul says, By the way, you live that way. If you live that way, you are fulfilling the law. You are fulfilling the intent of the law, the spirit of the law, the very goal of the law. That's what you're doing, okay? Secondly, Paul is saying this is a love that does no one any wrong. Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, we need to understand this as broadly as possible. When Paul talks about love here, agape, it should be applied to as many and varied ways of kindness to others that we can imagine, When he talks about no wrong or evil, we should imagine it to be anything that God would see as wrong or evil. And when he says neighbor, we should imagine it to be any person as widely as possible as we can, kind of like the way Jesus does in the parable of the Good Samaritan, remember? Who's my neighbor? Well, your enemy is your neighbor. Make it as broad as possible. So then when we understand this to mean that, Jesus is saying all people will know if you're my disciples because that kind of love does not exist on earth in itself. That is a love born of God. And if you're born of God, you have that love in your life too. You just haven't tapped into it every day and expressed it every day. So can we do wrong to others? Yes, we do. We do it unwittingly. We do it unintentionally sometimes. We come be conscious of it, we, we are aware of it, and as soon as we are aware of it, we want to make amends. We want to say, I'm sorry, I, I, I ask your forgiveness. We want to put things right. We want to see restoration. That's the spirit of the love that Paul's talking about. It's the spirit of the I want to do no wrong against you kind of love. And if you show that I have, I want to, I want to take it seriously. Now I want to ask you a question. In in your inner mind, I want you to think about this question. Can you think of someone who feels that you have wronged them? Can you think of someone in your mind that you think they think you have wronged them? Let me guess. You can think of someone and you don't agree with them, right? Right? That's the general scenario. In fact, if I were to push you further on this very line of thought, you perhaps think that you feel they have wronged you. Do you get it? Have you had that happen to you? I have. And you know what? You're never going to agree on the history of that. You're never going to agree on the history of that offense, whether it happened last week or last year or 20 years ago. You're not going to agree on that. So now, what does it mean for you and I when Paul says in Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of wrongs? Who's going to take the initiative? Do you have to agree on the history? These are really important questions to you, for you and I to be asking and answering when we come up against those that have been offended by us or we have offended them and we can't agree does life just stagnate there does that relationship just die are you content with that Paul has said in Romans 12 as far as it depends on you you live at peace with all people love keeps no record of wrongs and then finally I want to just mention that love knows the time And in verses 11 to 14, I want you to know this is still on the theme of love that Paul has introduced. Paul says, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. In these verses, Paul clearly employs a metaphor that is universal. It was understood by the Roman Christians in the first century, and it's understood by us today. And it's basically four steps to it. You're asleep, and when you're asleep, at some point, you wake up. And when you wake up, what do you do? You take your pajamas off, the night clothes, you cast them off maybe, and you put on other clothes that are presentable, most of us don't sleep in nightwear that is presentable. Think about your pajamas right now and you'll understand what I mean. Probably. And then once you've been dressed and put on the new clothes, you walk it out. You walk out the door. You're ready to be presentable to uh, the world around you. This is a metaphor Paul is using. It's universal. Everybody understands it. And he uses two words for time. One of the words is kairos when he says, knowing the time. Kairos time was a, a special time. It was a, an appointed time. It was, was not so much the, the nature of it as the kind of it, that, that it, was, it was just something you knew. You know the time. We Christians, we know the kind of time we're talking about when he says this. A person who's not a believer reading this may not understand what Paul is saying, but you do. You know intuitively what time it is. You know the Kairos time it is. It's the last days, folks. We've been living in the last days. It's the kind of time that matters because you and I understand that after the last days, we have eternity that goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And so you understand that. You understand the time more than those who do not know God we know what Hebrews 9 27 says it is appointed unto man once to die and then to face judgment we know the time folks if you are a follower of Jesus Christ you should know the time what time is it he says that time matters because your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed that's true universally for every one of us we're closer now So do you know what time it is? Verse 11, it's time to wake up. That's what time it is. Paul says, (laughs) do you know what time it is? It's time to wake up from your sleep. We had a sleepover this past week with the grandchildren. And at a certain hour, one of the grandchildren came running into our room and said, Grandma and Grandpa, it's time to wake up. But it wasn't time to wake up. And Paul is saying here, it really is time to wake up. We didn't jump out of bed when our grandson came in and told us it was time to wake up. And in fact, most people that are in the dead of a slumber are not waking up and jumping out of bed chipper and ready to go. And that's the problem in the world, is that that when you or I or someone else are in a slumber, and the kind of slumber that Paul talks about is a sinful slumber, they don't leave and wake up quickly, early. it's It's an incredible thing to wake up. And so Paul lists three little couplets of describing what people need to wake up from. And he describes them in these ways. Verse 13, walk Properly as in the daytime, not in. Now, you notice on the PowerPoint, I've changed the word orgies to carousing. And it's probably true that it's better translated as carousing because some translations you'll see do that because the word actually refers to wild partying. Wild partying and immorality, which often in the Roman world, especially, led to sexual orgies. I'm just telling you, it's. It's a a word that has to do with casting off restraint and just partying, carousing and drunkenness. Secondly, he goes into sexual immorality and sensuality. And this word has to do with shameless excess of sexual expression, a lack of restraint, knowing no boundaries. Do you know, folks, fire is incredible in the fireplace, And if fire is not in the fireplace and it's out of control, it is the most dangerous thing on earth. And then thirdly, Paul talks about quarreling and jealousies. And the word quarreling here is persistent contention, bickering, and petty disagreements. That's the way some people describe this word as it's used in Greek text. Have you ever been in a family Have you ever been in a work environment? Have you ever been in friendships where there's petty disagreements and bickering and gnawing at each other ongoingly? It sucks the joy out of your life. Paul says, wake up. Don't live in that environment. Don't be part of that. The word jealousy has to do with zeal. There's a positive zeal, but this is negatively. It's it's rooted in selfish ambition. So these, Paul says, are the works or the deeds of darkness that we should wake up from. And in case we think that somehow they don't apply to us, I just want to probe a little deeper for my sake and yours And, and just, again, pose some questions. Number one is when you get bored, Or when you are overly tired. Or when you are feeling really lonely and isolated. Or when you have just lost a sense of purpose or hope in your life. Any of those four seasons or times in your life, what do you turn to? Is there a relief that you find in drugs or alcohol? in sexual fantasies, in some kind of activity that just casts off restraint and lets loose. There's no end to options available for Christians in this day and age to get snagged on. We live in an entertainment-saturated world, and a lot of the entertainment is not good at all. And some of it is certainly not good in the proportion that we're encouraged to engage in. And Paul says that so much of that belongs in the dark, but you are people of the day. Wake up. And so, again, wake up from the sleep. If you've fallen asleep in some area, wake up. Today's a great opportunity today. Today can be the wake-up call right now. And uh, the hour has come. Why don't you make a decision today about that area of your life where you've fallen asleep? and you're waking up to something God has called you to, to live in the light, to live in the day. And when you do that, why don't you cast off whatever it was that snagged you? Why don't you just get aside, put it aside, cast off. Don't stay alone in the dark. Bring someone into the light with you and say, I have just determined that I'm going to turn from this particular failure, sin, hang up, whatever it is, and I'm going to Seek to walk in the day. Would you help me walk in the light? And then put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He can be absolutely everything you need to walk in the light. Get dressed and be presentable. And then finally, walk it out. Live your life coram deo, in, before the face of God. You know, there's a, a scripture in First Thessalonians 5 that's almost identical to what we're looking at. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us awake and be sober. Friends, I just encourage you, would you do that kind of soul analysis, spirit searching, because we're about to enjoy one of the most important meals of our lives. It's the table of the Lord that we come to this morning. And Jesus, the living Christ, is here inviting us to come. And he is not saying, as you prepare your heart, he is is not saying that he, he isn't sure where you're at. He knows exactly where you're at. He knows what your last week or two or eight have been like. Jesus knows all about your failures, your sin, and it hasn't hindered him from inviting you to the table this morning. The key is this. Are you waking up? And, and that means, are you, gonna, are you saying, I want to turn from this sin? Secondly, are you confessing it to God? Just saying, I'm agreeing with you, God. It is sin, and I, I know I need to have a change of heart here. And then thirdly, are you tr- going to trust him? Trust him not only for the grace of forgiveness, to forgive you, but also trust him to be your righteousness moving forward. To live in the day and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to sing a song right now, and I want to encourage you that at home, if you're able to go and get some juice or some bread and and some bread and uh, be ready to partake of the Lord's meal with us and you in the room, if in coming in you didn't pick up one little uh, container with a wafer and juice in it, would you go now during this song and and just get that so that you can partake of the meal with us. May God bless you. If you're like me, you want to get this thing ready ahead of time. <laughs> let's take some moment uh, just to pray to God. Let's pray and let's bow our heads. I want to remind you that this is a holy moment an important moment and I want to tell you that one of my greatest sins my greatest sin not one of my greatest sin is pride and I believe yours is too and pride comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes and it lurks beneath the surface in so many ways and then it, it pokes its head up and, and if we do significant reflection, we will find that it's there. Maybe there's someone here this morning that is, is not going to partake of the meal and, and they need to not partake because they need to go and get something right. That's okay. Okay somebody else that's okay but maybe there's people here that just are are, are not believing and they're not trusting that nothing can take away my sin except the blood of Christ and no amount of your hard work can fix that you just need to lay down your pride and trust fully in what Jesus did at the cross and some of you might even be making arguments in your minds that, that you have wearied the heart of God, the Father, that you have been to the well of grace so many times over the same issues that you don't feel he's asking you to ever come back and you're wrong. You're wrong. His grace is greater than all our sin. You need to trust and believe that. And so Father in heaven, we we come to this table because your risen Son has invited us. We are not worthy to come except through him. And we receive today fresh grace, fresh forgiveness, a fresh reminder of the call to wake up and to live a life of love, love for you, putting you first and love for others with the love you you have loved us with. And so, Lord, would you heal broken relationships today? Begin the work today, O oh God. Would you heal those things that are broken and draw us into you and find abundant grace in doing so? We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the the bread here that represents your broken body, for the cup that represents the blood that you shed. And we thank you that it's a reminder today that your intercession on it go, it goes on for us and we are made complete in you. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Would you take now the wafer and... Uh, Let us eat this in remembrance of the body of Christ. And then taking the cup, Jesus said on that first night, this is the new covenant in my blood. Would you drink this cup of juice and remember his blood that was shed? Amen. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God bless you.
5: Lord, you are a God who never changes. You have always been the same and you always will be and you always will be worthy of our praise. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for how you have reached in to the moment today during this time as we've heard your word together and how your Holy Spirit has made your word come alive in us. And God, I pray that we would be people of the day, living our days not enslaved by the night, but rather living in the light more and more in a way that honors you, in a way that honors one another for your sake and for your glory. I pray that you would have your way in us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, our Savior. Amen. Everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you.